Well, dear friends in Christ, actually today I could say dear and probably say each of your names. We've got time to go around. Uh, Not too many of us here. But God is here, and we're here to worship him. Shoots and ladders, board games. You know, during COVID, uh, COVID year, it's been... uh, Board games have been brought. How many still have shoots and ladders at your house besides me? Our, our boys are about around 30 years old, but uh, still have it. Um, it's been changed over time. Uh, in the United States, uh, that board game goes back to 1943. Uh, that was before I was born. And, uh, and actually, there was a, a game called Snakes and Ladders uh, that uh, even goes back to the 13th century. And it was to uh, teach children virtues uh, and as far as doing good things and then also you know, what happens when things don't go so good. In fact, I was uh, doing some research on that, and there's a game that uh, dates back to the 2nd century B.C. It was a, a Hindu game, similar, much similar to this, uh, and uh, uh, it got developed over in India, in fact. But this game, Shoots and Ladders, Ages three and older, okay? And on the new boxes, it even says, no reading required to play the game. Uh, Because it's all numbers. Uh, You have squares that go from one to 100 if you don't know about this game, and you start at the bottom, and you go back and forth, and you eventually get up to the the top. Well, the player's pawns, as they move around, any time that a pawn ends up on a picture square at the bottom of a ladder... Well, then you get to advance up to the top of that ladder and where the picture is there that uh, is associated with that. And rewards will show a child uh, being uh, rewarded for different things. Here, a woman had lost her purse in the lower right, and uh, the boy found it, and he's giving her the purse, and he gets rewarded with a nice big ice cream sundae to celebrate. Well, if you end up at the square at the top of a chute instead where a girl is drawing with crayons on her wall, probably at home. She has to go down this chute, and you're away from your goal of 100, and uh, she's got to clean up <laughs> and wash up all those crayons. And different things. There shows a, a picture of a boy on the top of a chute and riding a bicycle, for example, with no hands. And the picture you see at the bottom, he's got his arm in a sling <laughs> and things like just all bruised up. Well, with this game... Lots of things are pretty neat about it. And being young is always a, a nice thing to revert back to, right? Well, do you remember when you were so little and uh, you were too small and young to do the, the chores around the house? Maybe you wanted to push that lawnmower and uh, maybe it was uh, moving that big vacuum cleaner across the rooms. Trying maybe to wash those high windows that are there. Well, as a result, you know, when kids are about two years old or so, you know, they get these little mini versions of mops and sweepers and brooms, and they they act out those types of things that uh, go along with them, the type of work. But somehow that attraction just fades fast. And then as we get older, we know it begins to hit us as we give more of our lives to working up the way of a success ladder. And the problem with finally getting what we want is that then we've got it. 
the long-for prize, that prize we had just longed for so many times, perhaps, it's just another new responsibility now. Or it's another step in that ladder. Success is still somewhere else beyond that. And there's an old French proverb that says, you not only have to want what you want, but you have to want what your want leads to. Unfortunately, we've also been willing to strap our Christianity onto the rungs of the same type of success stepladder. Maybe it's our missions or our ministries, our churches, even our souls. What makes for spiritual success? According to the secular model of success, it means reaching huge numbers of people, being able to broadcast the gospel so far and fast as possible, developing church programs that thrive and grow, finding a beautiful, forward-looking, upward-thinking church home for worship. And many would say that surely these are the marks of a successful ministry and mission. But if they are truly the marks of success, of Christian success, then Jesus himself must have necessarily been thought of as a huge failure. Instead of establishing a, a center for Jesus' teachings, you know, a place in Galilee or in Jerusalem where those scholars and students and wisdom seekers, you know, they could come from all around to a central place, a location there. That's not what Jesus did. Instead, Jesus chose to wander among the countryside. And it was hardly a night, probably, that he spent sleeping in the same place two nights in a row. The crowds were always trying to catch up with him, we know. And instead of organizing a a training type of system of having scores and scores of followers, Jesus chose only 12 disciples. And we know that he provided them with really strange on-the-road training instead. Instead of playing up on his miraculous strengths, you know, the wonder and the power of them, that's what showed his true identity, definitely. Jesus chose to appear before the world almost like an anonymous person like a uh, simple, dusty carpenter, a craftsman. And we know as a rabbi of sorts, and also as a non-traditional leader. We know from Scripture that people view Jesus differently based on how they knew him or how they knew of him. Chances are at times that we see things from a different perspective too. A certain way that may very well prevent us from seeing things clearly. We know that we form certain opinions of people and based on how we see them. Sometimes we know that we see them and the opinions of them that we share, they may be mistaken. Robert Cuny tells of how he would see one pastor that he knew only as an aging, sickly man, a man who has long passed his prime. But then Cuny found out how active that pastor was when he was in the civil rights movement when he was young. That fact changed the way that CUNY viewed that pastor. Sometimes seeing people in a different perspective is what we need to change our entire understanding about them. In today's gospel reading of that transfiguration, we know that Peter, James, and John, they were all given a vision, a way of seeing 
Jesus in a different way as he's transfigured before them. And that changed their perspective of him and gave them a new understanding. It was definitely a mountaintop experience for them. Peter, although he was stunned and scared of that unusual happening he witnessed, at least he recognizes a golden moment when he sees it. If no one else is going to do it, Peter's going to seize the moment. He probably, <clears throat> excuse me, he probably figured out that this vision, even if it didn't last, well, at least they could build shelters that are going to stand there after the light fades and those heavenly visitors depart. Here the booths could stand. Monuments to a great success. A place where believers and doubters could come and they could relive that experience or recapture the experience. Maybe he thought that once he and James and John had spread the word about that transfiguring moment, people would flock to the site, that a huge movement would develop as a result, and that Jesus' mission would become a great success. Well, we know that Jesus rejects that success scenario completely. There's really no thing such as failure or success to Jesus. Failure and success are the devil's inventions and his intentions as he can deceive us into thinking something else about what is happening in our own lives. Jesus never worried about struggling up or sliding down a stepladder, any type of ladder. Jesus was concerned only with lowering himself toward others and extending himself to do his Father's service. If success is a ladder, then service is a shoot of not something bad, but a free-falling grace from God. Commitment to a life of service means us parachuting into those war zones of the world and extending a welcome mat of God's love and sacrifice to every heart and door of people's lives. This is the mission that Jesus offers us. It's downward mobility for us to move around. Forward-reaching service and upward-struggling And instead, it's not upward-struggling success. Successes are those things that can be calculated or calibrated or counted up. But we know that service is never quantified. The point of service is to offer yourself without telling up some points or counting the cost. We know that in Jesus' parable of the sower, he speaks about our responsibility to sow to be out there spreading the good news. It's not for us to be concerned about anything else. It's God's responsibility to reap that harvest. We're called to plant the seed, but we can't guarantee the harvest. And as mere humans, we can't possibly know the results of our sowing until the eternal harvest happens. When Jesus calls us all, and separates those who believe in him from those who don't believe. We will be judged. And by the results of our sowing, it's the sincerity of that sowing. It's not the results of the harvest, but of what we do to make that happen, to get that word out. Let's go back to that mountaintop for a moment. 
Those of you who have ever climbed to the top of a mountain or you've, you've flown in an airplane, you know how different the view is from up above than it is from down here. When I had the opportunity you know, to fly with the Wisconsin Air National Guard on their refueling flights, uh, I got to see some amazing things because out of the, the back bottom of the plane, right under the tail, is a, a, a window. It's a huge window. And uh, as you uh, see the planes behind, you also get an opportunity to really see the sky and also the ground that's all around. It's a much different view than when you're looking out the side windows, those little ones on the airplane, on those commercial flights. It's a different perspective. We know that as we go through life, we see those types of things. We can look at something one way and then look at it in a different way. Now, Peter, James, and John, like I was amazed up on those flights, they too were amazed and fascinated with that transfiguration of Jesus. And I don't know if you noticed it in those words, but if you read them carefully, Mark's words make a connection to the gospel accounts of the risen Christ. You know, if if you consider that last verse that we had, verse 9, as they're coming down the mountain, Jesus says, you know, don't tell anyone what they had seen about this glorious moment until he's risen from the dead. So we're given the impression that the transfiguration moment is a preparation for the future. For the cross, as Jesus is discussing with Moses and Elijah about his coming death, but also about the resurrection. You know, sometimes it's not until much later in life that we see the purpose of the events in our lives and how they fit together. And it's then that we see how God is working through us in those times as he prepares us for the future. And our mountaintop experiences that we get to enjoy also, they are preparing us for the future. When we, like Jesus and his disciples, you know, face hardships and crosses, we can draw strength by the wonder and the beauty of a mountaintop perspective. And as former Secretary General of the United Nations, Doc Hammarskjöld said, never look down to test the ground before taking your next step. Only the one who keeps their eye fixed on the far horizon will find the right road. Vision is important. Looking beyond. All of us need the vision of the mountaintop. All of us need transfiguration experiences where our entire perspective is changed. And the the fog perhaps clears and we can see more clearly. If we stop and we reflect upon our own lives, we know that it's likely we've all had transfiguration experiences, just as Peter, James, and John did. And we too can probably identify with Peter in today's gospel, where he attempts to capture and prolong this transfiguration experience by attempting to build those three booths for Jesus and Moses and Elijah. However, we, like Peter, James, and John, come to realize that we can't live on that mountaintop forever. The valleys below, they beckon us to come down and to live our lives as servants to other people, just as Jesus did with Peter, James, and John. Jesus and his disciples, like Moses of old, 
Well, they descended to the valleys of life to serve and give of themselves. That mountaintop experience had prepared them for service to others. And the same is true of us. It's been said that old people are not lonely because they have no one to share their burden, but because they only have their own burden to bear. There was an 85-year-old woman who was being interviewed on her birthday. And what advice would she have for people her age, the reporter asked her? Well, she said, at our age, it's very important to keep using all our potential or it dries up. It's important to be with people, and if it is at all possible, to earn one's living through service. That's what keeps us alive and well. And the reporter says, may I ask what exactly you do for a living at your age? And her unexpected, delightful reply was, oh, I look after an old lady in my neighborhood. Loving service heals everyone for the person who receives it and the person who is giving it. In 2021 and beyond, we have opportunities to serve. And hopefully as the days and weeks and months go on, there will be more and more opportunities. Uh, We're still trying to figure out if we're going up to Alaska or if we're going to have a virtual one again with them. But in keeping touch with them, that's what's most important. Even if we can't physically be there, we can be there in our relationship in Christ and reaching out to perhaps even others with that precious gospel. It's my prayer that for all of us, that our mountaintop experiences can help us to see Jesus more clearly. In order to follow his holy will, as we live our lives of cross-bearing service to others. Let's pray about that. Heavenly Father, uh, you give us so much. You gave us the, the greatest thing in your son, Jesus, and his death and resurrection. And as we serve a living Lord, may we do that willfully and joyfully, knowing that even as you have called us to be your own, you call us to call others too and to serve even as you came not to be served, but to serve. Bless us, Lord, and uh, as we go through these days, um, may we always be focused on you, that we can see clearly and do what you would have us do for the glory of your name. It's in your name that we also pray. Amen.